gather together and uh, we um, said, okay, let's just start with a few uh, thousand homes or thousand people in, in one particular area. Let's, let's get engaged with people. Let's spend our time and let's orientate all the things that we do around reaching people and loving one another and loving God. So everything that we did as a church, and we were able to start from scratch, so we didn't have any history. I mean, obviously, we all had history that we were bringing to that, expectations and all those sort of things. But we said, okay, let's, let's let be the one thing that, can, that, that motivates us and captivates us is Jesus. Okay, then let's just work out how we can organize ourselves in such a way that we can uh, share Christ with other people and also share Christ with one another and enjoy that. And that's what we... We did, and by God's grace, um, there's been much fruit amongst us. I can absolutely say I love Jesus more seven years on than I did then. Not because I didn't love him, just that God adds more love, and the depth of that love, and the devotion of that love, and that God has brought people to him. I was... Um, don't normally do this, but uh, sometimes you have, you have a sabbatical, which I did this year. You stop and you look back, and one of the things I, I did was I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll reflect on how many people we've seen either uh, come to faith or be ba- baptized. And we counted that there were 21 people that had come to the Lord in those um, in those seven years, and 75% of them had no. Christian background whatsoever. Some of them had come back to the Lord or some of them had had some experience of um, church before. And we're just able to praise the Lord that what he'd done uh, through us. But, you know, uh, when you're reaching people and sharing your life with Christ, sometimes it just feels so much smaller than the 21. You know, you look back and like, oh, the 21, praise the Lord. But actually the time, you know, it's just, it, it feels like, you know, will this person come to know Jesus? I don't, I don't know. And then in his, in his grace, as we persistently love and share Christ with people, we see um, the fruit of our labor. That is that people either love Jesus more or people come to love Jesus um, for the first time. So that's a little bit about our, who, who I am. I'm married to Joe. We have three kids. One of them is here, Boaz. He's the one that's roaring at the back there, running around like a mad one. Um, and um, I've got Mary, who's two, and then Ezra, who's three months. So they're back at home, my wife, Jo. Um, so um, over our time together, we are just looking at, I suppose, fanning into flame or just encouraging ourselves in who Christ is and what he's done. And uh, we are um, coming to enjoy him and be more satisfied in, in him. And that's my one goal for our, our time, really. There's no like output over here where you must do these things. But, but more that our, just, our, our hearts would be stirred and excited and reminded of the old truths. They're not new things. Um, and so last night we just talked about being captivated by the love of Christ. Um, and that's uh, something that's... I'm okay. Carry on. Sorry. Um, 
So we talk about being captivated by the love of Christ um, and how David is able to say in the midst of difficulty and challenge, the one thing I want, the one thing over everything else is to, to be with you, God, to dwell in your presence, to, to be near you and to be found in you and to be satisfied in you, to be in the place where things are made right between me and, and, and you, God. And so, back on. And so, we were just reminded, what, what's our one thing? What's the one thing that's the most important thing in our, in our lives? And to, to me, as we read through who God is and what he's done, there's, there's only really one thing or one person that can be that captivating. And that's God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're captivated by the work of Christ that's rescued us and redeemed us. So we talk about our heart being captivated, but this morning we're just going to talk about our hearts being compelled. Because I think the heart that is captivated is also the heart that will be compelled, yeah? And um, sometimes, you know, there's all sorts of motivation going on in our hearts, isn't there, in terms of being compelled to do something. We might be compelled by the law to do something, which is not wrong, but it, it's, it's, it's not something that we're desiring to do, it's just something that maybe we're fearing to do or not to do. We can be... Uh, compelled by what other people think about us so we want to look good so we're compelled by that motivation so that we might look good to other people uh, we might be compelled by success I want to be successful I want people to see me as successful and so therefore that's the one thing that, that, that motivates us to do the things that we, that we do there's all sorts of things that can compel us but the one thing that God wants us to be compelled by is um, the love of Christ. He wants us to be compelled by, by a heart that's been captivated by the love of Christ. And when we do that, then what we'll find is all the things that we do will start to flow out in a way that's really healthy, um, encouraging, godly, and in a way in which brings glory to God. Because the heart that's captivated by success or the fear of man or uh, the desire to, 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 to look good or have things starts to flow out in a way that doesn't really glorify God, does it? It really glorifies them. And so um, a heart, um, a heart that's compelled by the love of Christ will by its nature find ways of glorifying God that don't even need to be organized. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll just start to flow out. So if you've got your Bibles with you, do you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 5? I'm going to read from 14 down to 21. If you haven't got one, I'm sure there's some around. Again, I don't know what version you've, you've got, so it might be slightly different, but we'll, I'll read it from the version I've got. And this is what Paul writes to the Corinthians, and Paul is particularly writing because his apostleship is under attack and his worthiness to be somebody who shares the gospel is under attack 
and in particular here is motivation for being an apostle and for sharing the um, gospel that is under question. And he says this of himself, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and raised and was raised from the dead. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, Christ loves, compels us. Why does it compel us? Well, Paul says, because he's convinced. He says, the reason the love of God compels me is because I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus is the real deal. Remember Paul's past, a persecutor of Christians, someone zealous for the law, someone with a different worldview and belief on who God was and what he was going to do. Yes, it's got, Christianity's got its origins in the same scriptures, but the way in which salvation were to come was very different. But now Paul says, I was living this way and I was even persecuting and killing Christians and wanting their harm. Now I'm absolutely convinced. And that convincing started with an experience. I don't know if you remember Paul's conversion story that we'll read where um, we can read in the Bible where he just encounters Jesus in a personal and powerful way. Where he's, he's blinded and Jesus himself comes and speaks to him and says, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And Paul becomes convinced because he meets Jesus. His heart becomes captivated and convinced because he meets Jesus. And there is no way for us to be compelled unless we meet Jesus. Unless we become absolutely convinced that life without Jesus is meaningless. Sometimes um, in, 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 in the Christian walk and in churches, and I, and I try not to be critical, I don't want to be critical, I'm just trying to be describing it. We can become so used to the going to and the religious and even the sort of moral side of religion that we forget that we need to be convinced that people are lost, utterly lost without Christ. We need to be convinced that Jesus is the only answer. 
that Jesus is not just something extra to make your already good life better, that Jesus is the foundation of all of life. And that if we don't have Christ, we have no hope whatsoever. So Paul here isn't just convinced that Jesus is a good thing or a good man or a moral teacher or a helpful way to live. He's saying he is the author of life. He is the creator of life. He's the giver of life. All things were made by him and through him and for him. He is the one. He is the access through, of, by which all of life orientates around. And so I want to live for him and I want to be found in him because there's nowhere else to be found. If we think that our friends are okay, but could just do with being a bit more moral or a bit more righteous or just being saved, then we will never be compelled in any way to either love them with the love of Christ or share the gospel with them with great compassion and love. But he said, look, I'm convinced. And to me, this is, I think about being convinced in a number of ways, uh, it means to be, um, to absolutely trust that that thing is true. To be absolutely convinced of something, to have that conviction in your life, to say, yes, this is the thing, <laughs> there's nothing else. It's to, this is what it's all about. And for me, this is where faith and reason come together. Sometimes I say, well, you have faith and I have reason. No, 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 no. The Christian faith is based on reason. Yeah? He says, I'm convinced of this. This is what Jesus did. He died for all. There's fact. There's reality that he's believing in. And he says, when I put my faith into something, I've got to place it into something that's reasonable. Nobody places their faith into something that isn't reasonable. And so when I came to faith, it was about discovering um, the way in which the, trying to discover what was the most likely thing, the most thing that was to be true above all the other things that I, I was listening about and hearing about. And to me, uh, faith in Christ, the explanation that the Bible gives to the human nature and to the way in which the world was made and its beauty, to me it was the most compelling argument. And so I put my faith into it. And when I put my faith into that, then I became alive in Christ. Faith and reason, they go together. And so that's one of the ways in which we're convinced. But also like head and heart. It's, I talked about it last night, so I won't spend too much time, but just, it's not just about what I know up here, it's about the experience of knowing God. When Paul had that experience of meeting him, he didn't go, oh, brilliant, thank you very much. Jesus, you downloaded some facts. I computed it, great. Okay, now I'm going to live for you and not for this. No, no. It was an experience of meeting God, drawing near where he was changed. Where the way in which he saw the world, his affections, his loves, his desires, the way in which he wanted to spend his time, all changed from that moment of meeting and experiencing God. So head and heart came together at the same time. God revealed himself said, uh, in Jesus Christ, said, this is who I am. And his heart was stirred as he met him face to face. And this is again like truth and experience. The truth and experience in the truth. Jesus is true and so Paul came to experience it. So he says, I'm convinced. I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus is the real deal. 
What is he convinced of? That Jesus died for all. That's a very short sentence, but a powerful one. Jesus died for all. Jesus died so that all may come and believe, that no one would be excluded from believing, that there was a way in which all who believe could come to him. So this is not just a message for one, Paul's saying. This is a message for all. I've got to get out there. I can't just sit there and say, oh, I've had a wonderful experience. I'm convinced. Thank you very much. I'll see you later. I'm on the train. (laughs) He's like, no, no, no. I'm convinced that he not just died for me. This is why I'm involved in this, he's saying. This is why I'm in. This is why I'm an apostle. This is why I'm going out. This is why I'm a sent one. This is why I'm talking about Jesus. This is why I'm starting churches uh, everywhere that I go. This is why I'm uh, finding ways and means to share Christ with people because he died for all, not just for me. And then he says also that all have died in Christ. What does he mean by that? Is that all who come to believe in him will need to come to die in Christ. There's no other way to salvation apart from through Jesus. Where people come and they say, I was alive to myself, but now I need to come and I need to die to myself and die in Christ. I need to believe in the truth that his death was my death. And so therefore when he died, I died. Jesus is the only way. I'm convinced, not only that he died for all, but he's the only way. And then third, he says that he was raised again, that Jesus is alive. I'm convinced this one that I am following, he's not dead, but he's alive. He's the one who rules and reigns and will rule and reign, not just now, but forevermore. And I pledge my allegiance to him because to pledge my allegiance to something or anything else um, would be foolish. I'm, I'm interfering with myself somehow, don't I? Sometimes we've got to be honest with ourselves and we say, am I truly convinced this is the one thing? Am I truly convinced that there's nothing else to live for? That all the pleasures in life come and flow from the person of Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, you're going to struggle to be compelled. But the great news is that God is the one who convinces us as we gaze upon him, as we continue to remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done, we become convinced, utterly convinced, more and more each day that there's nothing else worth living for. We become convinced that our righteousness in Christ, that the past and present and future sins have been dealt with, that we can now live a new and free life in Christ, not living for ourselves, but living for him. We become convinced that all the pleasures of these uh, earth, however 
uh, enjoyable they are, are passing and fleeting in comparison with Christ. We become convinced that the, re- the true way, the real way to enjoy the things of this world is in the way in which God has made them to be enjoyed. And when we do that, we become satisfied. We become satisfied that we no longer want to live for ourselves, but we want to live for Christ. Because living for ourselves has only ever produced a, a passing satisfaction. And so we become convinced, like Paul, it's Christ or nothing. It's Christ or nothing. And what's the effect of being convinced? Well, he says this. There's two things he says. That we no longer live. He says they no longer live for themselves. That we no longer live for ourselves. So there's a, when we become convinced that Christ is everything, then we become convinced that living for ourselves is foolish. He says that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So we throw off the sin that so easily hinders us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We used to live for ourselves. We used to live for our own glory. We used to live for our own purposes. We used to live for our own pleasures. We used to live by our own morality. But now we say, no, all this is rubbish. I'm going to live for Christ now and his kingdom because that is the only thing that will matter. Am I building treasures up on earth or treasures up in heaven? The Bible says that we should seek treasures in heaven. So we say, living for myself is not the way. But then he also says, in a positive way, he says that we now live for him. So the effect of being convinced is that we no longer live for ourselves. We now live for him, his purposes, his glory, uh, his desires. Why? Because, and it, this is the important thing. We need to get this. Because sometimes when we think about like not living for ourselves, like let's deny ourselves, pick up the cross. Basically, let's have a life where we never enjoy it. Where we whip ourselves with, you know, the cat of nine tails over our back. This is a terrible life that Jesus just wants to prove that he's king. And we're going to become like his suppressed servants, life is not, no, no, because God knows that the more he's glorified, the more we are satisfied in him. So he wants us to live for him because we will be more satisfied than living for ourselves. There's the wisdom. Seeking his kingdom first is more significant and more important, yeah, and more satisfied than seeking our kingdom. That's the wisdom that he's, that he's unpacking for us. Not oh, you know, I want to take everything good away from you and now you just serve me like a mere slave uh, with no good things in damp and terrible conditions. No, he's saying, in fact, Romans says it's the opposite way, that when we lived for ourselves, we were living in the damp, um, dungy conditions and we were slaves to sin. But now, now he's saying, you're now free to be slaves, followers and servants of Christ. It's a, a something that we do voluntarily for him. 
because of, of what he's done for us. So that we should seek and live for him. I mean, Matthew puts it like, that, like this, that we should seek his kingdom first. Romans 12 says that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That all that we do is uh, an offering to him, bringing glory to him. Romans 14, 7 to 9 says, For none of us lives to him, self. Uh, for none of, us, none of us live to himself, and none of, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whatever we live, or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For, this, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that we might be, uh, that he might be both, that, sorry, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And then in Philippians 1, it says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the Bible encourages us, live, live for him. Why? Because it will produce joy and satisfaction in your life. So he says, look, my heart is captivated. This is why we're compelled to live for him, because we are convinced that Christ has died for us and for others, that he has rescued us and he's redeemed us. And the way that in which he desires us to live, the kingdom that he's going to create, is so much more fulfilling and satisfying than what the, the world gives. gives. And that this is the eternal lasting reality, that this one will pass away and lead to death and suffering, that this one leads to life and life in abundance. And so he's convinced we must be people who share this great news with other people. So Christ's love, he's convinced by Christ's love. Sorry, the reason why he is compelled is because he's convinced and the effects of being convinced is living for, for God and not for himself. And then what does that look like? What, what does Christ's love compel us to do? Well, there's three things in verses 17 to 21. First thing is that Christ's love compels us to, to be to the ministry of reconciliation or to be ministers of reconciliation. It says this, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creator. The new creation has come and the old is gone and the new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to, him, to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He's saying, look, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Okay? Something's taken place here that it is of eternal effects, that they were uh, dead to Christ, but now they've become alive to Christ and they're new. So the old has gone, new has come. This is the way in which he's describing this ministry of reconciliation. They have come to know Christ and Christ has made them alive in him. And he's saying, look, I'm now compelled to be involved in that ministry of reconciliation. That is why I'm involved in this ministry of reconciliation because I'm absolutely convinced that this is the most important thing in the whole world. There's nothing more important that I could be spending my time doing than being part of this ministry of reconciliation. So he is saying, this is why I'm an apostle. This is why I've been called. This is why I'm spending my time doing this. Because I want people to be reconciled to God. People need to be reconciled to God. 
that really truly is people who know Jesus, who are part of his kingdom, and people who don't know Jesus and who are not part of his kingdom. There truly is a heaven, there truly is a hell. There truly is uh, a freedom from judgment and under judgment. There truly is people who are in Adam under uh, his sin, or there truly is people who are in Christ who are under his righteousness. And people need to be reconciled to God. People need to be told they need to be reconciled to God. People need to be explained how that reconciliation can take place. And I'm compelled by the love of Christ because I'm convinced that he's the real deal. That I need to be somebody who is involved in this ministry. He then says in verse 20 and 21, Christ's love compels him to be an ambassador. In one sense, it's a, another way of describing the same thing, but slightly different. He's saying, uh, verse 20, uh, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. And then he makes um, uh, a plea to them. He says, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so when we come to Christ, when we become part of his kingdom, when we're captivated by his love, when we're convinced, when we're compelled, we become his ambassadors. An ambassador is somebody who represents the king or the state to uh, like a foreign country. And when they speak, it is as if that official is speaking. Uh, they obviously aren't the official, um, but when they speak, they speak on behalf of. And really, they should only speak what the king or the state wants them to speak. They're not really to speak on their own. They never actually act as if they are that person. They now act as if they are the other person. And they think, what would the king or the queen want me to say? And they shouldn't say it if they don't think the king or queen wants them to say it. They shouldn't act in a way in which the king and queen shouldn't act. They are the manifestation yeah, of that state or that king in that person to those people. And so in the same way, he said, look, Christ has gone and he has now sent us as, as his ambassadors, those who represent him to the people. And Christ has a message. And it's the message of reconciliation. Christ has a kingdom. It's a kingdom of the reconciled people. He wants us to be his ambassadors. And this is not really a choice. This is just what takes place. Because when we become convinced of Christ, it compels us to be ambassadors. We want people to know. We want to speak on behalf of the king. This is not a terrible... You know, it's not an edict of, that is terrible, that's hard to proclaim. This is good news. Mark says at the beginning, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's great news. It's fantastic news. And so we go with ambassadors, as ambassadors, with good news. I don't know if you know what the, the picture of the, the sort of word good news, but it would be the same sort of thing. You know, you would send a messenger um, um, 
from the front line of a battle, when the battle would have been won, they would send like a messenger back um, and they would run with that message to tell the city of the good news that peace has come at last. Well, that's the message that we have. Peace has come at last. Christ has made peace. He just calls us to believe and trust that he's made that peace for us. So he sends us. And then just one final thing, which doesn't necessarily come out of the passage, but is really the implication of us being ambassadors, is that as a people, we become an embassy. Now, what's an embassy? Well, it's a piece of land that belongs to another country um, in a country. So if we go down to the um, um, you know, American embassy, I don't know if there's an American embassy, in, there, there might be one in Belfast, there might be. Um, when we step through the gates, it's their land. Yeah? Uh, we are as if we are on American soil. We're not on American soil, because it's really, but, but it is American soil, because we've given it to them. And so in the same way, Christ calls us the church, his people, to be an embassy. A little taste of heaven, his soil, amongst a world that he's still in charge over and will come completely under his control. But for now, there is a kingdom that, uh, you know, where people don't belong to him. So as a church, we should see ourselves like an embassy, a little taste, a little way of seeing. So, you know, if you went to the American embassy, they'd probably have Dunkin' Donuts. Um, guarantee it, Dunkin' Donuts. They, they would have lots of little things, and they would probably have all the, you know, trappings of America uh, in that embassy. You know, they'd probably have their own little Starbucks or whatever it is they've got there. You know, you go on there, they'll serve you American food. I'm, you know, it really is like a little taste of America in that embassy. And so when, when God compels us through the love of Christ, he wants us to be a little taste, a little taste of heaven. It's not, it's not the whole of America. There's loads of things that make up America that aren't in that embassy. But in some way, people can taste and see that his kingdom is good because of us. So this call to be ambassadors Whilst it is an individual call that comes to us when we come to Christ, it is also a corporate call to be an embassy. And when we do that, people will start to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me finish maybe just by, maybe I'll just share a couple of little stories of encouragement about how being an embassy, how being ambassadors truly can make a massive difference to your life. I'm going to tell two stories. I'm going to change the name of one person in case this gets, I don't know if it is recorded. Um, so, um, uh, let me just tell you a story of a girl, um, what should I call her, because I keep off again and then I'll say the real name. Let's say Helen. Okay, let's remember Helen. Helen. Okay, so Helen is a young girl. She's 19. Um, her mum, we first met her and her mum uh, at a Bible study 
on a housing estate that was kind of part of the area that we're, we're in. Um, and uh, so we started holding a Bible study in somebody else's house. She and her mum came along with some other folks, maybe about 10 other folks. Her mum had some um, learning difficulties. Um, and um, so we shared Christ with, with them in this Bible study. We had food together. Uh, when we'd finished, like, the, we did like Christianity Explored, then the group said, hey, look, we just want to continue to meet. Um, nobody had become Christians. Well, okay, well, let's just continue eating and meeting uh, together. And then we just found lots of different ways of studying the Bible together. We showed Jesus video. We showed anything we get our hands on. They were still keen to meet, and they were enjoying something of the embassy, yeah, of, of the church. They, they weren't in the church. They were visitors, as it were. They were aliens to the embassy, but they were, they were enjoying that embassy. And we invited them to our house. We had a barbecue. Uh, the girl turned 18. Uh, no, no, 16 when we first met her. 16. She, uh, we'd only known them for three months. She invited us to come to her party. She didn't invite anybody else apart from her family, apart from us. So that was a privilege. So we made sure that we went there to, to, be, to be with her in that party. Uh, two years later, her mum came to know Christ. We baptised her, her mum. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, we, uh, the girl who was then sort of 17, 18, um, we offered her an apprenticeship in the cafe so that we could invest in her um, and we could you know, encourage her in terms of getting a, getting a job and growing up and being there. And in the first six months, she then came to faith in Christ. Now, her mum had been for nine years suffering from cancer. And this year, about, um, it would only be uh, six months ago, her mum died of cancer. She's a 19-year-old girl, single uh, mum. Her mum died of cancer. And um, so then the church um, obviously wanted to know how we could love her and care for her. And a whole number of folks in the church said, look, don't, ever, don't worry about living anywhere. If you're worried about that, you could come and live with us. And I think she had like four offers of people saying, come and live with us, come and live with us. Um, and uh, she actually came and lived with myself and my wife, which is lovely. Um, and... Um, um, the reason I'm telling you the story is that from just simple beginnings of recognizing these people need to know Jesus, we went and we shared. And then we said we want them to understand what they're being called to. They're being called to something of life, not death. They're being called to something that's true and real. And so we invited them in to the embassy that was our church or our gospel communities or our life groups, whatever you want to call them, so they could experience something of the life-giving reality of being part of God's kingdom. That led them to the Lord, one after the other. It led to them her now experiencing having an, uh, a family that really cares for her and um, it has brought her in. This, this is what the compelling nature of Christ does. It leads us to say, yes, we've got a room, you live in it, why not? Brilliant, you can be part of our family. It leads to us saying, yes, we've got to go. And when we did it for two years, no fruit, nothing. Yeah? Um, 
There was one lady, we were watching um, uh, the Jesus video, and it was a really old video, like a 70s video. Um, somebody had pulled out, we're like, okay. But they loved watching it. So we were like, we'll stick it on. And uh, so we always have the discussion afterwards. Oh, you know, anything stick out to you? Anything encouraging to you? And they said, I, I didn't realize that Jesus had such nice legs. <laughs> and so we said to her, you do realize that this video is not a video of the real Jesus, but like a story of Jesus. She's like, oh, right. <laughs> we had other occasions where Christ was shared and, 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 and people left the group because they, they, couldn't, they couldn't deal with it. Being compelled by Jesus, being convinced by Jesus, compelled to be ministers of reconciliation, does, always, does not always produce instant fruit, does not always uh, mean that there aren't people who, re, who we both reject. But I genuinely believe that when we live like this sort of way, we will see people come to know Christ for the first time. And I believe that when we live and we're compelled in this way, we ourselves will become increasingly satisfied in Him. But it takes cost, it takes commitment. We have to no longer live for ourselves, but live for Him who died for us. There is a cost. And Jesus doesn't want to make that cost easy for us because it wasn't easy for Him. You know, it really is a life and death situation. He either died for us so that we might live, or he didn't die for us so that we might live. It either cost him his life, or it didn't cost him his, his life. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not easy. We have to follow in his footsteps. We have to pick up his, his cross, and we have to follow him. That means dying to self. It means us saying, no longer our way, no longer our rules, no longer our morality, no longer our way of living but the way in which you want us to live. We trust you that your way is better than our way. And you know what, sometimes in church, especially in churches that have been around a long time, especially as Christians who've been around a long time in church, sometimes like, yeah, but the old ways were, were nice and comfortable. The old ways were okay. But she's saying, they may be okay for you, but what about the people who don't know me? How will they come to know me? And were they really okay? Do you love Jesus so much more now than you did because of the old ways? Sometimes we have to realize we've got to let go of some of the old ways, not because in and of themselves they're wrong, but because we just desire him more than any of those ways. We just desire him more and want to know him more. And we'll say, whatever you want us to do, however you want it to be, Teach us and tell us and we'll do it. Why? So that your glory might come, that your name might be known, that we might become more satisfied in you and that others might come to know you for the first time. I said I was going to do two stories, but actually I think that one's probably um, enough. So, yesterday, we, last night we discovered, or reminded ourselves that our hearts are to be captivated by Christ's love. Now, today, we're looking at Christ's love compelling us because we've been convinced 
that the message of reconciliation is worth giving our life for because we no longer, we, 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 we recognize that God, that Christ didn't just die for ourselves, but he died for all, and that he wants those who do not know him to become part of his kingdom. There's no higher cause, there's no higher, uh, uh, um, there's no better thing for us to be spending our time doing than being his people, being his ambassadors, being his embassy, and living in such a way that the truth of the gospel is both seen and heard. And I implore and encourage you to live for Christ in this way. Let's just pray a second, and then I'll encourage you to break into groups. Father, just thank you of what your gospel does to us, how it changes us, how it becomes the one thing. Lord, I don't want to live for anything else apart from you and your kingdom. I, I, I want my life to count. I want the things that I do to uh, be things that will be uh, building your kingdom that will last forever. So I pray that you will help me be convinced that there's nothing else that's worth living for. That what Christ has, has done on the cross is the uh, changing um, event of human history of which now every other event now evolve, revolves. Help me be, to become compelled by your grace towards me and towards other people. Would you do this work, I pray. Amen. Amen. Do you want to say something? Yeah, I think, I think what we do, and um, this is going to really shoot some, uh, sort of spark off some conversation in smaller groups and what we've heard now, but I think we'll, we'll have uh, scones and coffee and we'll get the kids in so they can get fueled up for more energy back in the hall. Um, and then once the kids have talked around, I'm sure they'll be along, they'll just decimate the table. Uh, but once they've drifted off and we've got to this one, and then we just sit down in groups and have a conversation. So um, we'll get them in, and then once we sort of try and gather ourselves, get our, get our coffee, get our song, maybe sit in joints sort of groups of. Yeah, we'll organise ourselves in a small little, enough to have a chat with. And uh, once we get to filter that, we'll definitely just give us things to say. Okay? So, but uh, I don't think Jess has been really interesting to call. Just, I, I love that image of being at an, an embassy. Um, should we get a flag out of But I don't know, I love that image. I think it's really what, what we're about as God's people. So, get a copy or, or grab your kids, get a copy. And, um, and then once they see each other,